I walked into Dick's Sporting Goods last Sunday, and as I walked in the door, front and center before me, there was a man and there was a woman, and they were leaning kind of like this on a naked mannequin. And I walked in, and I saw this before me. This faceless mannequin was designed to display female athletic gear. And at the moment, the specific areas that were to designate her gender were clearly exposed. I know everybody's really uncomfortable right now. And I was very uncomfortable when I walked in and I saw two people leaning on this naked mannequin. And they noticed that I was very, very uncomfortable. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to look. And so I just put my head down like this and turned and went in a direction where I wasn't even going in the store to go in that direction. I just turned and walked away. And they lost it. They started laughing, and they immediately, they realized they should have been working anyway, and they grabbed clothes, and they began to throw them on the mannequin. Now, I found myself in that awkward moment, actually with a sense of relief, because all three of us, in the presence of this plastic woman, acknowledged something that we are being told we shouldn't acknowledge or can't acknowledge or it's wrong to acknowledge, and it's that men and women are different. It's undeniable. But for our purposes, we want to ask the question, why? Why have we been designed differently? Why are men and women different? The Bible states this very obviously, very clearly from beginning to end that men and women are different. But, but the bigger question is why are we different? And we're going to look at this over the next few weeks, several weeks. We don't even know yet. We're just going to dive into this topic and see where it leads. But we're going to begin answering this question why here in Genesis, and I said earlier, these two verses are going to kind of be the, the foundation of what we're going to talk about. But the first point we want to make is that while we are different, men and women are the same in essence. We are both equally human. And we see this in our text. Notice verse 26. Then God said, let us. And we talk about this often around here. God is Trinity, three in one, three distinct persons, one God. And I just want to be clear about this. That's not cool trivia. That is essential to what we believe about God. There is Father, there is Son, and there is Holy Spirit, and they are equally divine. And you must believe that if you are going to believe in the God of the Bible. But God says, let us make man in our image. For five days, God has been creating everything in heaven and on earth. 
I believe is a literal six days. The, the word used for day there, 24-hour period, is used throughout the rest of the Bible. And God has been spending five days creating everything. And here, God says, now, now is the time to make man in our image, after our likeness. But notice the, the way this is described. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. There is male and female, but they come together, notice, in mankind or as mankind, as human. Man, there is them, but there is man, one race, men, includes male and female. And, but notice the clarification, let us make man in our image. It's a very important word when we talk about image. It means stamp. Or it means, cut, it means to cut out, or it means to carve. He describes it here, Moses describes it here, after our likeness. Let us make man like us as a stamp. It's used of idols that are carved out in images. God says we're going to make man in our image. We're going to carve this person out to be like us. And then verse 27, we see this hymn. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. It's almost inserted there as celebration. After everything is created, God created humans. He created man in the image of God. And this is something to be celebrated. But we find in chapter 2 exactly how God created man and woman. Man in his image. In verse 7 of chapter 2, we see that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. He breathed directly into Adam, and this is different from how he created everything else. Everything else God speaks and creates by his word. But then he takes Adam and fashions him in his image and breathes, breathes almost a part of him he imparts to Adam. And here we are to begin to see that man is not just body, but he is body and soul. That's what God is doing as he is creating man in his image, creates Adam this way. And then in chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, we see how God creates Eve, how he creates woman. He takes a rib from Adam. He puts him to sleep and performs surgery on him, takes a rib out of him and creates woman. Now, a lot of times there's folks who maybe unintentionally communicate that Eve is lesser than Adam because she was taken from Adam, the very opposite is being uh, communicated there. Adam was formed from the ground. Eve wasn't formed from the dust of the ground. She was formed from Adam. She's not inferior, she's not lesser. She wasn't made from dirt. But then notice in chapter two, verse 23, how Adam responds when he sees Eve, who was created in the same essence that he was created. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Here, Adam is declaring Eve is of the same essence as him. The word for woman, the word for man here, isha and ish, it it comes from the same root, but it sounds the same. And and God is communicating they are of the same essence. They are both human. They are equally human in God's image. In essence, what Adam is saying here is you are same of my same. You, unlike anything else on the planet at that moment, are the only thing like me. They are of the same essence. This is so important to understand as we move forward. Adam and Eve as they represent humanity here, they are two sides of one coin. They are the same. When God created Eve, he didn't say to her, now you go over here with all the female animals. You go over here with the the female giraffes and zebras. And and Adam, you go over here with all the male animals. That's not how God designed the world. And that's not how he brought man into the world. You wouldn't have walked up to a lion, a female lion, and tried to act as if she was any less a lion than the male lion. And you shouldn't do the the same with Adam and Eve. They are both equally created of the same essence in the image of God. Eve is of the same essence, fearfully and wonderfully made as Adam, equal. They're also equal in glory. In chapter one, we see these phrases. In verse 26, when God creates man in his image, he declares that they are to have dominion. They are to rule. And this begins to communicate the glory that both are to have, Adam and Eve, man and woman. They have equal glory and they have equal dignity in that they were created to have dominion. Even when he says that they are to fill the earth with more humans, the reason for it is that they would subdue and they would have dominion in verse 28 of chapter 1. And here as God creates man in his image, he is beginning to tell a story. We know that the end of the story ends with a king and his bride ruling and reigning forever. And here in the garden, as they are created to have dominion, to subdue, we see the end of the story at the beginning. We see a man and a woman placed in a garden to rule in the same way Jesus and his bride will rule in a city forever. This word image also is very similar to imprint, almost like fingerprints, almost like when you're at the beach and you take your finger and you press it in the sand. Adam and Eve together are created to rule to imprint the globe with God's glory, with his likeness. Think about that for a moment. God has created billions of men and women who are to image forth his rule in all, they are to be his fingerprints 
all over the globe, ruling and reigning as his viceroys on his behalf, declaring his glory. That is why God created us, male and female. And I'll be very clear, men and women here today, both of you were created to rule on behalf of God in his world. Men and women, whatever circumstance you are in as a man and, or as a woman, you were placed there to dominate. This is the word means, to dominate, to rule. God gave you this life. He gave you circumstances that you have now. He created you with certain skills and certain abilities. He placed you in this, this part of the world so that you would image force his rule, so that you would dominate, so that you would be his imprint in your home, at your job, at your school. From Richmond to the ends of the earth, we would be the image of God. We're not to be passive, men or women. We're not to be excuse makers, man or woman here today. We fix cars, we mow grass, we give IVs, we mother, we father, we change diapers, we serve others to rule, to rule, to dominate as God's image in the world, his image bears in the world. This is why in our home, we teach our girls that they are different, but we do not teach them to be any less aggressive or dominant than our boys. Now, they have to be harnessed by authority in certain situations, but everything they do, they are to do with aggression to the best of their ability. They are to take things. They are to organize them. They are to create things. They are to rule. And so think about your life right now. How are you just passively moving along, waiting to figure out what God has called you to do. No, he's called you to be his image bearer in this moment and to dominate, to declare his glory in all that you do. But next, we see that while we are of the same essence, we have the same glory and dignity, we are different in design. Notice the text is very clear. He created them male and female. He designed man in two genders, two genders all across this room right now, male and female. Now, certainly it begins with reproductive organs, which are necessary as God will call them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And from that point, we have different traits and characteristics desires, capacities. We're different as men and women. God created us to be different. It is his design that we would be different. I listen to a lot of sermons this week on this topic, and at this point, a lot of people just go into, how are we different? It turns into kind of a comedy routine. Men are from Mars, women are Venus. I don't know where I came back from that, but the, all of that. That's not what we're going to do today. We're different. It's not, we can see how we are different and we can study how we are different. Again, why are we different? And from the beginning, we are different because we were created for different roles. 
A man was created to be a husband. A man was created to be a father. A woman was created to be a wife. She was created to be a mother. That, that, is, that is how this begins. This is why God initially created us differently. And from these roles, we have different responsibilities. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, verses 15 through 17, God placed Adam in the garden. And at that point, Eve's not there. She hasn't even been created yet. And so Adam initially bears the responsibility as leader and authority in the garden. And he tells Adam, you're not going to eat from this tree. So first of all, he is to be a leader in obedience. And then he says, you are going to keep the garden, which means you are going to protect the garden. And we see how that goes in Genesis chapter 3. The snake comes in. He doesn't protect the garden. He's also going to work the garden. So he is a leader, protector, and provider. That is the responsibility that God gave Adam in the very beginning. But as the story goes, Adam could not do that alone. And so in verse 18 of chapter 2, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Even after he said, Adam, you're going to lead, protect, provide, God immediately comes in and says, but you can't do it alone. You will not be able to do it alone. There is something missing here. You will not be able to do what you're called to do alone. And he says, it's not good, verse 18 of chapter 2, meaning whole or complete there is still something lacking, which is shocking if you read the first two chapters of Genesis because the declaration over and over after God creates on each day is what? It was good. God looked around and said, it was good. It was good. It was. And then Adam standing there with his responsibility says, it's not good yet. It's not good that you're alone. You're incomplete in some ways. You need someone to come and help you. You need a compliment to do what you are called to do. And he calls Adam and he says, look around. He doesn't just walk up and hand him Eve. He wants Adam to fill his incompleteness without her. He says, look around. All the animals, look, look around. at all I'm calling you to do. And experience your need for someone else in this moment. And there was no, the text says, there was no helper fit for him to compliment him so that he could carry out his task. And so God designed the world so that Adam could not take his dominion without Eve taking her dominion. And so then he creates a helper. Now, this doesn't mean in any way that Eve was lacking. Actually, what the word helper means is to provide what is lacking. She's not lacking. She provides what is lacking in the world here. And this is why God created her. He creates a helper for Adam. Now, the word helper, it's actually a very powerful word. 
We kind of relegate it to assistant. If I need you, come help me. No, the word is actually used of God throughout the Old Testament, who is a helper and a refuge, and you can't do what you're called to do apart from him. And that's who Eve is for Adam. He can't fulfill his mission without her. The word is even closely associated to encourager, which is what we call the Holy Spirit, who comes alongside of us and encourage or helps us, walks alongside of us in our mission. And this is what Eve, how Eve was created, as a help, helper, suitable, a compliment, so that Adam could take dominion. And I do have to say this today. Primary in her role was motherhood and the responsibility to nurture. Now, because our culture is not the Bible that has done this to us, because our culture has minimized motherhood to a pod for babies, there's nothing more than that. We don't see this as important. We don't see this even as a role and a responsibility to nurture because of the way we are being trained to think about motherhood. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, after the curse, after sins come into the world and God says there's going to be death in the world, Adam immediately turns to Eve and says, you are going to be the mother of all living. Even in a world cursed by death, Eve one of her roles and responsibilities is to bring forth life. This is the promise in the garden. Eve is to dominate by reflecting the rule of God as a life giver. There's nothing lesser in that. It's not a minimal role for Eve. Adam's fatherhood is not mentioned, but Eve's motherhood is because it's mind-blowing that God would continue to bring humans into the world and that in Eve's womb there would be life, a soul. More souls are going to come into the world through her. And it, it blows Adam's mind. And Adam would have obviously heard Genesis 3.15 as God promises the serpent that his head will be crushed by a seed born of woman. And so Adam is looking at Eve and saying, hope will come through you. Life in a, in a world cursed by death will come through you. This is another way in which we're created different with different responsibilities. And we also know this in Genesis chapter three, when the curse comes into the world, these roles and responsibilities are, are cursed. They're hard. Adam, you're going to sweat as you work. Eve, childbearing is going to be really, really hard. And so these roles and responsibilities are more difficult because of the curse. But I want to clarify something here. Some of you are on edge. God has given these as primary responsibilities. Did you hear what I said? Primary. Like the only responsibilities we have to lead, protect, and provide, to be a helper, to be a nurturer. Not only, they're primary. 
This doesn't mean that women never lead in any circumstances or men are never encouraging or nurturing, especially in the home. Because a a mom who has no authority is a bad mom. And a dad who is never nurturing is a bad dad. So I want to get that straight. We're going to talk about that a lot in the weeks to come. I also want to be very clear about something here. Marriage, motherhood, fatherhood, does not make you more masculine or feminine. I need to say it again. Marriage, motherhood, fatherhood does not make you more masculine or feminine. And so I want to say that to the folks here who are single. Maybe you're a widow, a widower. Maybe through different circumstances, even even divorce. Maybe you're here today and you're not married. Maybe you're here today and you're not a mother, you're not a father. That doesn't mean you're less masculine or feminine. Jesus, earthly ministry, wasn't married. Now, eternity, he's married to the church. Paul, the apostle Paul teaches us more about marriage than anyone else. And he was a single guy on mission. And he would write to us and say, marriage for some of you is just a distraction from serving the Lord and you need to get after it for Jesus. So it doesn't make you more masculine or feminine. You display masculinity and femininity, whatever the circumstances is, through counterculture purity, first of all. You declare to the world the gospel through your holiness and purity and your devotion to the Lord. And I just want to stop and say this. We have so many of you here in this church that make us who we are. And I don't want to patronize you in this moment. I want you to know, I can't pastor without you. This church is not who it is without you. Whatever your circumstances are, you give yourself over to the life of this church and you model for it. I don't even need to talk about this. I just need to say, look at those folks, how they serve the church. So I want to be very clear as we move forward. You're not lacking. Actually, you're you're able to serve in ways that married folks and folks with kids can't. I want you to know that. I want you to feel that. Maybe I'm being clumsy and communicated. I'm sorry. Now, let's move on. So we're different in design, but why? The answer, the question is still why. It's because God is telling a bigger story, and we see that in the creation narrative. Throughout chapter 1 and throughout chapter 2, there are two things that are different but equal in telling the story. When we move through chapter 1, we have heaven and earth. We move throughout the creation narrative. We have light and we have dark. We move throughout and we have day and we have night. We have sun and we have moon. And we have land and we have sea. And we're to get to the end and we say, okay, there's two more coming. <laughs> the story's incomplete until Adam and Eve, male and female, are created together. This is how the story it completes itself. The creation narrative completes itself. We are different by design because there is a bigger story where God is bringing two parts that are equal together to tell a bigger story. And so why? When Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32 God is clear why he made male and female. 
When he's talking about marriage, Paul says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul unpacks marriage and, and he says, marriage is to display the gospel. Marriage is created to be a picture of the gospel where you have a man who is head and authority as Christ and he is loving his bride who is following and submitting and respecting to his authority and that is to tell this profound mystery in the world. That is why God made male and that is why God made female for the sake of the gospel. That's why these issues are important. Not just because people are weird and it's awkward and it's strange it clogs up my TikTok feed. No, it's a gospel issue. It's not just political. It's not just social. It's not just educational. It is a gospel issue. There's male and female because of the gospel, because you have Jesus and you have the church for eternity. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul says that the church, Jesus sees the church as the fullness of him who fills all in all. Does that sound familiar? There is nothing lacking in Jesus. He fills all in all. But what is he, how does he view the church? She is the fullness of him who filled. She is what, in some sense, completes him. In some sense, there's nothing lacking in Jesus. Let me, let me be clear. But Jesus chooses to say, like Adam, you are same of my same, and I can't do what I need to do in the world and throughout eternity without you. He chooses to say that to the church, the church that is made from his body, broken for her. She becomes one with him forever. This is why there's male and there's female. And the church becomes this place of nurture where the seed of the gospel multiplies the children of God. That is why it's male and female. We're to reflect that in the world. The church, and some mind-blowing way that is really hard to explain fulfills what is lacking in Jesus' mission, not in his person, his mission in the world and throughout eternity. It's a gospel issue, and I, I just want to settle that for you today. It's a gospel issue. Don't, don't get distracted with the, the other stuff. It is a gospel issue, and Satan attacks gender because he hates the gospel, and he, he, it's a lie that, that sexuality is determined by your desires. That's a lie that Satan is telling people. It is a lie that, that sexuality is not God's design and you can just make it up and identify what, however you want to. That is a lie, but the reason behind the lie is because Satan hates the gospel. And the reason you should reject the lie and stand against the lie is gospel, gospel issue. That's it. Let's start there. And because of the gospel, we live in a world where it's just crazy. I don't even need to give you an example. It's crazy. I got examples here. I don't have enough time. We just live in a weird world where all of this is messed up. And let me, t let me just be clear. You're going to have to be clear about what you believe about these things, gender, sexuality. It's not going away. And you're going to be called to bear false witness 
and deny these things are true. You can't do it. Don't slowly drift away from the gospel. Because if you begin to tell lies about gender, how can you tell the truth about Jesus and the church? You can't. And some of you already, we have college students, you are facing the brunt of persecution and opposition of these things right now. And let me plead with you as your pastor, these are gospel issues. Gospel issues. And you cannot compromise. Why? Because you love the gospel. And so how do we live this out? How do we live out this story, a man and a woman, a groom and a bride? How do we live it out in this culture? Well, it begins with the same kind of imagery that we saw in the garden. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden with equal essence, but different in design. He has placed us in the church with equal standing in the gospel, even though we're designed differently. You get that, right? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Now look around. There's male and female, right? We're here today, male and female. So he's not saying these things are blurred out. He's talking about our status. Male and female, you don't have any different status before God. You are covered in the blood of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. When you believe the gospel, you are forgiven of your sin. You're accepted. Whether you're a brother or a sister here today, you have the same standing. But, but how do we live that out? We have equal standing, but we're designed differently. And so men, we have to live out our Christianity differently. We do. We live as men who believe the gospel, and it looks differently in our life. One of the tricks of the evil one is to convince you that spirituality is generic and androgynous, and it doesn't speak to you as a man in your maleness, in your masculinity, and you're trying really hard to make it bland. This is, when you're, this is why when your, your wife talks about going to Bible study, in your mind, you equate that with her going to get a pedicure and extensions. Because you think Bible study is feminine. You think it's feminine. Let me tell you, it's going to be a long sermon today, just hold on. Here's the, there, this, that, that's why we got into this mess. That, that's, that's why Eve was deceived. It's because Adam said, no, you go talk to the snake. Do, do you get it? That's how we got into this mess. And so men, you need to love your Bibles. I'm getting really fired up right now. <laughs> so... If you know more about Tucker Carlson than you know about the Apostle Paul, don't be shocked that Satan has more influence in your home and your schools and your community. Get after it. We'll order you all Wayne Grudem systematic theology today. You need to know the gospel. You need to dig in. Your responsibility, like Adam, is to lead, protect, and provide the gospel. You lead to the gospel. You protect the gospel. You provide the gospel for your home, for your church, for your community. 
All right, women, I know you're really excited now. I'm really nervous about this part. You have to be helpers who nurture a place where biblical leadership can flourish. A lot of you say, I'm doing this because men won't lead. And then they start leading and you say things like, am I not good enough to do that? Hey, let's be okay when men lead. One of the things that breaks my heart, it breaks my heart every May, June, July, and I'm just going to be candid with you. Eve's role is to provide what is lacking. And one of the most lacking things in the church is that we have women who are going to the hardest places around the world in places where they could be killed for Jesus. And there are men who will not go. Now, if you're getting a job, that's a good thing. But that's not why. It's again, because we have been told that Christianity is a feminine thing. And yet we need men here who step up and say, send me, send me to the Middle East, send me. But women, when they do, don't get mad. Celebrate it, encourage it. There's there's enough places for all of us to go for the sake of the gospel. Think about how you can dominate as an encourager, as a helper, someone who comes alongside. And the first thing some of you need to do is you need to detox from social media. And I don't say that. This is not some rant, rave, I want to be, be on TikTok preacher day. That's not what this is. Some of you are so addicted to that pill and you wake up morning after morning with the hangover of discontentment and you think you're not the woman you should be and you're discontent with your role because you're, look, it's the Harlequin novels of modern day where you're gazing out at someone. No, God gave you this life to dominate and to encourage and to, and to honor. And so today, I know, I know some of you women, you were amen and you were jumping up and down and you, you were ready to go. So this is what it's gonna look like for you today. When your husband comes home and says, honey, we're going to church every week, we ain't sleeping in anymore. When he says, we're gonna give more to missions, And we may not get to go on vacation. Do not turn to your kids and go, well, it's just another harebrained idea of your dad. You know how long these things last. No, the same amen and you were doing a minute ago, do then. Let's go, let's go. I'm very uncomfortable with this. Help, encourage, nurture gospel leadership. I was going to save this to marriage. But when Danae tells me she loves me, it's kind of like, eh, okay, whatever. (laughs) But when she tells me she respects me and encourages me and says, you're doing a good job and God loves you and the gospel is true for you, I could run to a wall. And so 
whatever your circumstance is here today, help, encourage. Anyway, we got to end this. We got a long way to go. So it, may last, it may last the end of the year. I don't know. But there's no difference in the gospel we believe as men and women. But the gospel will make us different men and women. Men and women, it will make you different. And as we serve Jesus together, the world will look on and he will see the body of Christ, the glory of the body of Christ. The world will look on and be embarrassed at times and want to look away. But the body of Christ is no plastic mannequin. This is the glory of Jesus forever.